It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Uh, Inglorious 4-3, which of course, uh, and I think it looks like it's been filmed uh, using video rather than film. And we are on the set of uh, Mr. Rogers, where Tom Hanks uh, reenacts the opening of the show that I had never seen before. Uh, apart from in parodies on The Simpsons or Family Guy or stuff of that ilk, you know, references to Mr. Rogers. I was kind of familiar with, but I had no idea what on earth his thing was. And so this film was kind of the first uh, introduction to, you know, what was going on with that. He does his thing where he takes off his jacket mm -hmm. and he hangs it up. And changes he puts his on shoes. a cardigan. Yes, which is weird because, like, just don't wear shoes in the house, buddy. Uh, but for some reason he puts on, like, like I don't know, trainers to walk around his own house. Loafers. I, which are for loafing. Well, yeah, yeah. I just find it a weird thing that he does. I think um, we all needed uh, Mr. Rogers in Crocs. That's what. Yeah, I don't think that was going to happen <laughs> because I don't think Crocs were a thing in 1998. Which I is can when dream. This film is set. Um, yeah, I think I spent. I think I went to the cinema today in Crocs, um, oh, no. and socks because I'm just odd socks. I think I have a problem. Yeah. Um, yes. for, your, for your sake, Luke, I will cut that out so nobody knows that about you. Um, <laughs> once Mr. Rogers has changed his jacket into a cardigan and changed his shoes into loafers, he introduces us to a, you know, picture board. Mm -hmm. And he opens some doors. And behind them, uh, we have um, Lady Avalyn. And uh, we have uh, King Friday the 13th. And uh, we have uh, Mr. McKellen, is it? Or Mr. I can't remember what his name was. Mr. I think my notes have the mailman. corrected it to something. Right. Yeah, the mailman. Who's always talking. Mr. McFeely, I think McFe it is. Yeah. That's him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we also have uh, Lloyd Vogel looking like someone's punched him in the face. And <laughs> Mr. Rogers tells us somebody's hurt his friend Lloyd. Um, and in as we go through the like, I don't know, it's really we have we see the model town and we go through like the credits, which introduce us. Uh, first to the Twin Towers in New York um, and we then uh, arrive at the wedding and each time we go into reality we will end up you know in normal widescreen rather than 4-3 uh, as transitions the models are wonderful because yeah. I, I didn't grow up watching Mr. Rogers but like you I was familiar with stuff from it from other things talking about it and then I had watched Won't You Be My Neighbor the year before this so that those transitions are basically what he did on his show is use transitions to get from the real world in his house where he's just come home to the fantasy where like King Friday the 13th is and all that. I'm quite yeah. surprised as to how it wasn't jarring when we sw swapped aspect ratio. Cause I was like, when we first did it, I was thinking, right, I'm going to like properly keep an eye out for it. And then like, it just, it was way more effective than I thought. They didn't try any sort of like clever transition. It was just like, swapping it about and it worked and it was nice um but i mean i would say when i saw this in the cinema it was greeted with an icy reaction when it started in 4-3 people were clearly like what the hell's going on and then when it transitioned <laughs> people were still like i don't understand what's happening and you know it, the film got a bit of a frosty reception let's say but i think it's uh, it's an odd one because you know you'd said that you didn't know a, a ton about about mr rogers i think it's yeah. a it's an odd one to sell to UK markets anyway. I mean, you saw it in the January. Robert, did you see it at the cinema? 
Yeah, I saw this. Yeah. It would have been like opening weekend here because I live in L.A., so it was here right, right when it opened. I saw it at the Arclight in Hollywood. Yeah. Which um, would close the next year because it could. Oh. <laughs> and before, yeah. it, before I saw it, I, I haven't seen um, Won't You Be My Neighbor because I think that's quite hard to come across in the UK or am I being an idiot? Hmm. Um, uh, but I had seen It's You I Like, um, which was another documentary about Mr. Yeah. Rogers. And I'd watched that beforehand. Um, and yeah, so I'd, I'd got a, a basic understanding. And I might have watched a couple episodes because they're all on Amazon Prime. Um, so I, I may have seen a couple episodes every now and again. I haven't in a while, but if I'm just feeling kind of stressed out, I even though it's literally nothing to do with my own upbringing, I do like putting on a clip or an episode of, of Mr. Rogers. Um, well, I mean, I feel today, like if this was made in, about England, it would be about Jeffrey uh, from Rainbow, who, you know, was always, I don't know, doing something. I can't remember the plots of any Rainbow things. Um, I was going to say Justin Fletcher, but that might be more my childhood. Um, I think that is more your childhood, yes. Something uh, special was a, it was good. It was a good show. Um, or maybe something about Mr. Tumble. <laughs> well, that's still so Justin we Fletcher. Up, so we're, we're, well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I know it's, I know who he is. Like, you know, um, I was saying specifically, you know, you yeah, might call yeah. it Mr. Tumble something something. I don't know, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know his catchphrases. You did a thing you know? called Gigglebiz for a while. That was weird. Let, I don't <laughs> think you're going to be able to sell a film called Gigglebiz. Uh, although, by all know. means, Luke, you, the porn you parody write it. just sells itself, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What I'll do is, as we discussed before, I will write the Justin Fletcher biopic before I know yeah. if I. I'm allowed to make it. Call it, call it Giggle Biz, and let's see where we I go. I really from there. shouldn't have called back something we discussed before the show. That doesn't work. That's being cut. Um, but um, we hear Packerbell's Canon in D, uh, one of my favourite grand basses. Uh, when I was doing my A level music, I wrote tons of different things over the top of this because it's really easy to write over the top of. Um, and we see that the father is walking the sister down the aisle. Not something that was expected. Um, Lloyd has joked that you know uh, he's going to use the same speech as from his sister's two previous weddings <laughs> um, and uh, in real life um, the guy who wrote the article was very clear made, made it very clear that he had no estranged father and his sister didn't get married so you know this is the fictional part of the film but there was uh, you know, a recent to... wedding though because he had had a fight yeah. with the cousin about a wedding yeah but not not this particular wedding no. and not over the, the father and it wasn't a fist fight singing. <laughs> I Something do really stupid. respect his move of being like, yeah, I'm, you know, going to work behind this film, but change my name. Right. I think that was that. That's a real nice way of keeping that distance. I don't know how much it's well, helped. Um, I don't know how many people come up to him and you know, ask him about his dad. Based on yeah. is clear enough. Well, based on doesn't even say know. inspired by, which is even like the next step. Oh down. yeah, inspired by. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. So you know, he met Mister Rogers. That's pretty much the the core of the whole film. Um, but yeah, so obviously the father, being a neglectful father, decides that this is a good moment to give a speech. I think as well we're meant to think that this, he was going to give the speech because he was going to be the one who would, you know, pl play the role of father of the bride. Um, and obviously that's been usurped by his neglectful father. I and really his hope father... you're going to say play the role of father of the bride, which has been usurped by Steve Martin. Um, but that didn't no. work. And I, it's I well, can't no, there's remember. a recent, recent a remake. remake. Yeah, yeah, there is. I've been meaning to see that. Yeah. I can't remember who was the original. Sorry, that's a tangent. I really like the film. I like the original. I can't remember who played the was it. Cary it wasn't Cary Grant the original. I don't think it was Cary Grant. It was someone of that ilk. Um, oh. Well, uh, something for the viewers to, uh, the listeners, sorry, to Google. Um, so he sings something... Sorry, there we go. There we go. He sings something stupid, and then there's a fight, um, and then we see that 
Um, you know, we're back with Mr. Rogers, and there is someone at the door, and of course, it's Mr. McFeely. He always says speedy delivery. And he has brought a VHS, which is called How People Make a Magazine. And he says he thinks that how people who want to know how a magazine is made would enjoy How People Make a Magazine. <laughs> um, which is. I, I, I don't know it's like the fact that he says the same thing kind of basically worded slightly differently in quick succession made me laugh a bit um and from that we 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 go and watch on picture picture um the process of magazines we see ink um and we see paper you know the basics what well, that's what you'd expect mm-hmm. in a magazine um and still with a shiner on his face he goes to see his editor and his editor um played by Christine Lati is saying you know you've got to rehab your reputation he keeps explaining this bruise away as you know he was playing some softball and you know he'll say this a few times before obviously uh yeah diving for the plate um later on obviously this is this lie will be torn apart by uh with you know thorough efficiency (laughs) um by mr rogers um but yeah so you know he he's told go and interview mr rogers you know we're doing a puff piece about heroes i need 400 words you know just something basically to go around the picture that's all that's all they need you know something that runs you know one column on the one side of a picture of mr rogers that's what they need nothing more don't write too much i mean you know (laughs) we all know what's going to happen um be a really boring film if it's just just a bloke writing (laughs) an article where he has to get those exactly 400 words and so it takes a long time (laughs) Picking yeah, what we see him to... sitting in front of his computer, deleting a couple of words, mm-hmm. putting a contraction in, thinking that'll probably help. Uh, I am instead of I am. Yeah, there you go. That's one less word. Um, you know, all the all the stuff that we did when we were I don't know students yeah. many many years ago. Apart from for Luke, which obviously was I last week of... or whatever. Um, <laughs> not not too long ago. What was it like? Yeah, three weeks ago. So not too bad. Um, but <laughs> yeah. It, it's yeah. I'm, to be fair, I never paid attention to word counts, and I then panicked handing in uh, one of my main bits of coursework being like i didn't do it uh, and i just managed to like um like in a break add an extra like 100 words because i went under for some reason um everyone well, was going I over. Paid, that's probably a worry i had a pension i paid attention to word counts because all my over. essays were handwritten and so i i would count at the end of each line how many words i was up to and i would keep a running total down the side so i knew exactly what the word count was my best was 23 words on a single line i oh. had small handwriting wow uh, wow! Yeah, yeah. I'm all I'm all typed up, uh, which means that it'd be easy to pay attention to word counts, but I didn't because uh, my handwriting is completely illegible. When this I, generation yeah. today, Robert, they don't even know <laughs> they're born when it comes to word counts. When Lloyd gets home, his father, played by Chris Cooper, once more, uh, as from the previous scene, is there, and he wants to talk to him, but obviously he just ignores it. He's already, you know, um, called Mr. Rogers on the phone, and he's like, "Oh, you know, can I come down?" And well, he spoke to the studio basically. Yeah. Um, and then he gets a call from Mr. Rogers. And Mr. Rogers is like, hello, um, can I speak to Lloyd? And obviously Lloyd's like, yeah, sure. Um, and I, I like that, obviously, the, you know, the, the running theme throughout this film will be that when Fred Rogers is talking to you, there are no other people in the world. Right. And that, that was like how he always came across. And everybody who ever met him said, you know, when you were with him, it, it, was, it was never about him. It was always about you. Um, apparently this is the same thing that Tom Cruise does when he talks to people he is very focused on them and that's why they like him because you know that's what Scientology teaches you to do is to focus on the other person so that you know they end up liking you Um, and then you can become the world's highest grossing movie star as of this recording Um, 
not quite sure where Top Gun sequel made a billion, but hey, this is the world that we're currently living in. Um, but yeah, uh, obviously, you know, Lloyd is, is invited to go to the studio, which I think is in Philadelphia, uh, if Pittsburgh. I remember correctly. Oh, Pittsburgh. Okay. I mean, I'm, you know. We got a skyline state. of it earlier, which I'm familiar with Pittsburgh because my wife's from there. Oh, well, there you go. Been there a few times. Uh, that is obviously why you were a guest on this particular episode. I know, obviously. Um, you never bring me in yeah. for the films with the lovely skyline shots of Telford. Um, <laughs> but it's uh... Which films were ever shot in Telford? <laughs> exactly, I don't know. Um, there was that one Doctor Who story, wasn't there? A uh, Colin Baker one, what was it? Uh, Probably, Mark yeah. Mark Shot in Bliss Hill, I, mean, I think. When I, I, was, I mean, any, any new towns in this country look lifeless and dead. So I guess if you're setting something in a post-apocalyptic future, <laughs> then <laughs> Telford or Milton Keynes. True. That's Shrews- your Shrewsbury's quite nice, and it's only just starting to get captured in film. Shrewsbury's not a new town, though, is no, it? No, I just mean it's nearby. Um, yeah. So it, it, I, I'm surprised that's not getting captured in in film quite as much as it as it should. It's only just there was some BBC. I'm sure there are many romantic comedies waiting to be shot in Shrewsbury. I'm in the back um, of my mind been writing one for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll Does see. everyone refer to it as the Shrew in this particular <laughs> film? You're going down the shrew. Depends um, who you ask. It might be the shrew. Um, but, uh, well, yes. Uh, yeah. There's a, there's a reference never, for all never of Never me, our... though. <laughs> I would never call it Shrewsbury. No, I mean, that's ridiculous. Exactly. There's, a, there's a reference um, for all of the Salopians listening. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> One I... of whom is my youngest brother. My youngest brother was born in Salop, not, uh, not the West Midlands. So he is a Salopian. Um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, we get the meeting, takes us about 20 minutes into this film, uh, between Lloyd and the station manager. Finally, they have met each other. Uh, the station manager is, of course, you know, he, he basically makes it clear uh, that he knows about Lloyd. He's like, yes, I've read your article. <laughs> like, You know, he's very protective of Fred, but obviously, you know, Fred has the final call. He's like, you know like like he's a he says yes you can come so that's that's what i'm going to say but uh yeah apparently bill Eisler met with enrico uh collier tony and they became quite friendly and uh you know uh they he kind of talked about fred a lot and you know kind of got to know how protective he was of him so uh you know I, i'm not sure if a bill Eisler has no hair and was happy to be played by a bald fella but uh, I guess we'd have to look up the interviews to find that one out. When we see Fred for the first time, kind of in real life, not through the lens of the show, uh, we see that he's talking to a kid who has an oxygen tank, um, who is swinging a lightsaber-ish type thing. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, it looks off-brand. It looks like someone gave him like a cheap, you know, you know, five-dollar lightsaber that he keeps swinging around. And eventually, as Fred talks to him, he kind of puts it away and gets a hug from Fred. And then, you know, Fred takes a picture of everyone, something which obviously he will do throughout the rest which of the film. Which is, like, mentioned in the article, but he doesn't hug, does he, in the article? I think. It's, I don't think so. It, it, I think he specifically mentions he doesn't hug. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's there's some artistic liberty. There taken. we go, that's it. Fred Rogers, terrible person, won't hug dying child. Uh, that's the headline <laughs> to take away from this. No. Actually, though, I like the sense of Fred as a character we get just from this moment, because... Mm. He's so, as you said, when he's talking to you, you're the only person. He's there with that kid in this moment. The show is trying to get one shot done, and they're first they say they're thirty minutes behind on something, but then they're like they're seventy three minutes behind for the day. Yeah, 
and that apparently that was a real like that was a real very common thing of like they were always running behind mm-hmm. them when it, whenever they were recording I, it's one of the reasons why in later years they they were only doing like 15 episodes a year because you know it was taking it so long time to, to film, film yeah. you know I, I love yeah. the fact that um shortly after when he actually gets back to the scene it's so funny when he just he just goes and goes oh Lloyd's here and just, mm-hmm. <laughs> and just stops right off. yeah I, I do feel sorry for the AD but also the AD absolutely is used to this by now like they've yeah. got to have scheduled in for Fred Rogers antics by now um, yeah I mean I would think so you would think that they would be after many many years at this point like had been on the, the air for like twenty something years like they you would think they would be used to the fact that he's gonna keep breaking to kind of talk to people who are on set and there's and, probably you know. some poor work experience kid floor runner who is like it's one of the first it's okay. days he spent time talking to them too so they 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 enjoy <laughs> <That's true>. it <laughs> yeah I, this is the thing i don't like i don't think anybody on that set would ever be mad with him because obviously whenever they talk to him he you know yeah. would make it clear mm-hmm. that he thinks they're important so why would you get mad at that yeah, but if they yeah, were too we, irritated i'm sure he would notice <laughs> yeah that would be what the conversation would become about um but yeah and then we see like he he goes he you know he he mentions lloyd he says this is my friend lloyd even though he's never really had a conversation <laughs> with him on the, over the phone and he kind of you know he uh, you know he, he basically is like okay i've got to get back to you know whatever i'm doing and he struggles to put up a tent uh for like three minutes and that is taken from a real episode there is like an episode where he did do that yep um not from around this time but you know just in the in the history of the show that was a thing that existed um and so obviously they do it here and lloyd's like why why did you do that like why didn't you just get somebody to set up the tent uh illustrating the first of many times where lloyd misses the point yep um the point of the scene was that he couldn't set up the tent it wasn't getting into a tent that wasn't the the point of the scene the point was the, the failure of setting it up yep um, and you know to show children that even adults can fail and it's it's not you know there's nothing wrong with that his first um, lesson for Lloyd as well yes and, and you know he, like he he starts to attempt to interview him <laughs> he says they've got they say he's got half an hour but obviously they're running so far behind that's n- that's n- oh, no they say 20 minutes mm-hmm. and he there's no way that's going to be true um you know he just he the, and of course instantly instead of like while he's trying to ask the questions that he's got set out for this puff piece um, he immediately is like, "What happened with the injury?" Yeah. And he lies at first, and obviously Fred is like, "Oh, you know, maybe you shouldn't have led with your head." Um, and then he kind of ends up telling him the truth and saying, "You know, he he was hit by his father." And of course, Fred is instantly empathetic and sees that this is a terrible thing. Um, and uh, what I love about—I mean, we obviously we haven't talked that much about Matthew Reese, but. In the like the obviously the film is about his character and the kind of the way that he kind of changes from being you know this very well known person who wrote like hit pieces. Um, although obviously I think history will judge him being correct for writing a hit piece about Kevin Spacey. So uh, you know, although apparently the, the funniest thing that I found out about him was he wrote uh, an interview with Michael Stipe where he made up all of Michael Stipe's answers and he said he made up the answers because obviously Michael Stipe was in the 90s a notoriously terrible interview like he would barely give anybody anything and you know you would ask him simple questions and he would barely respond and so you know tom juno took it upon himself to fabricate an entire interview where michael stipe gave more interesting answers uh to the questions that he asked uh, so obviously as he talks about his father uh you know lloyd gets kind of more emotional matthew reese wonderful in the scene 
Um, but unfortunately, um, uh, they've run out of time. And so <laughs> Fred takes a picture and <laughs> kind of leaves to go back on set. Um, and Lloyd is able to go on set and he watches Lady Abilin and, um, you know, Daniel sing together. Um, and the funny thing is, obviously, like when when one of the, you know, the directors talks to the puppet, he's like, did you just talk to the puppet? And he's like, yeah, the puppet is Fred. Fred is the puppet. <laughs> like, how like, where else would you address it? Apparently, this is a thing that like on the sets of Muppet, you know, uh, productions, people sometimes have a problem talking directly to the Muppet because the performers are like right next to it. <laughs> so like, you know, but I, I like that he's like in this little kind of cupboard. Um, and Daniel's striped tiger is um, singing along with Lady Abilin. Um and you know obviously Lloyd has um, you know in some way uh, been changed um, you know like just in meeting him briefly um, and so obviously he asks he asks his um, editor can I can I get more time and she's like no we just want four hundred words to go with the picture <laughs> just do that. Don't turn this into a bigger thing. And I like that he says, you know, there's more to him. And she's like, I don't care. Just write write the 400 words so we can put them underneath the picture and just move on with our lives. Um, but, of course, that Lloyd's not going to be able to do that. And if he did, this film would end at around the half-hour mark. And this is not a half-hour film. So we know there's more to come. Um, and we find out that Lloyd does some research. Uh, you know, he watches some episodes, obviously. And then in between, we see some Forrest Gumped. Uh, interviews with Arsenio and Oprah as Tom Hanks is placed into real real interviews that happened uh, with Oprah Winfrey and Arsenio Hall. I find it interesting that both of those people are known by one name mm -hmm. and it's their first name and Mr. Rogers is known by his surname. Yeah. So, you know, nobody's going to call them Mrs. Winfrey or Mr. Hall. Um... Although I would love Arsenio Hall to take up the mantle of Mr. Rogers' Neighbourhood and make something called Mr. Hall's Neighbourhood. Um, or perhaps just sh shorten it to Mr. Hall's Hood. Um, and, you know, make something... Get, get himself some puppets. Uh, always love Arsenio Hall. Great performer. Don't watch the sequel to Coming to America. Um, I, and I saw of, it and promptly forgot everything that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I saw the DVD well, for sale the other day, and I was like, "Oh, it made it to DVD." I, and I was, thinking, I, yeah. As you can both imagine, I was incensed when they covered a Prince song, and I was like, "What are they doing? They're just ruining this." Prince would be rolling in his grave had he not been cremated, so nobody could figure out what killed him. Um, not saying that there's any conspiracy there, but. Do the research, as they say. Uh, we get a montage of welcome of uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And, um, you know, we also see um, Lloyd uh, rejecting his father many times over, <laughs> which I thought was an interesting. So, I mean, you know, Mary Heller, um, I wouldn't say that, like, the directing is anything that you particularly notice in this film. But, I, you know, apart from the transitions between uh, the different uh, formats. Uh, but I did think this was a nice kind of contrast of, like, Fred Rogers being nice and cordial and uh, Lloyd basically slamming the door on his father over and over again and just rejecting him outright. Uh, so, you know, we see that Fred has obviously changed Lloyd a tiny bit, but not enough for him to bother reconciling with his father, um, you know. Uh, but yeah, uh, so we get uh, Mr. Rogers making a phone call and um, Andrea picks up the phone and is kind of like, who is this? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry I woke you up. This must be Andrea. And obviously he does his thing where he kind of <laughs> talks about her and, and she's like instantly like starstruck and can't believe that she's talking to Mr. Rogers. 
Um, and so, you know, after being starstruck, she passes the phone to Lloyd and he says to Lloyd, you know, I'm going to be in New York. Um, so, you know, let's uh, let's talk some more. He obviously phrases it as saying we never got to say goodbye, uh, which is kind of true because he literally took a picture of Lloyd and then walked off before anything else could be done. Um, and I, you know, again, I, you know, I think it's, it's interesting that obviously, you know, Fred was feeling that there was something that they needed to discuss or there was something unresolved. And, you know, rather than just settle with the 400 words, you know, he kind of reaches out to him. Um, and, he, you know, he mentions that he's been watching the show. And, you know, we 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 kind of find out along the way that obviously that, you know, that we, we've seen that they're a, a new couple with what is probably the hackiest of jokes in the entire world, trying to fit like a car seat into oh. a, a taxi at the beginning. And I'm like, seriously, it's 2019. Do we still need this? Like, well, his impatience is useful to see. But yeah, yeah for the car, those yeah. car seats are actually pretty easy to put in place. Yeah, I mean, you know, hacky joke. Anyway, um, but yeah, so he's going to be in New York, and of course, uh, what's what's uh, what I like about this part of the film is the fact that it puts Fred Rogers in a setting that isn't his own world. So, like, obviously, the you know the the, the neighborhood is where he he lives. Um, not literally, obviously, it's a studio. He lives in a big house with a couple of pianos. Um, but, you know, in terms of how people see him, that is that is where they see him. And so I thought this was a nice contrast to have him sitting there, you know, with a string quartet, happily listening to the music and just kind of being present. And, you know, also everybody just loves to meet him. Like, and it's, it's kind of insane that, like, at, like, this string quartet is, you know, for adults... <laughs> And they are so happy to be performing for Mr. Rogers. And, like, that's the thing that kind of comes through here. And also when he, you know, he's outside the hotel and he's meeting with tons of people. Um, and they detail the, you know, the handshake handoff <laughs> as he shakes someone's hand. And then they put the kind of his manager comes in and takes their hand. So obviously he can move on. Uh, but I love this. I love this string quartet performance. Like, And Tom Hanks is really embodying, like, you know, Mr. Rogers sitting there and paying attention mm-hmm. and, you know, and then when they get when they put their bows down and they go to you know they they just, they're going to play something pizzicato, he's like, "How are you going to play without your bows?" As if you know that's the question that any any child seeing them put their bows down would ask, and he wants to make sure that people you know understand what's going on, and it's you know uh, it's kind of it's kind of magical to watch. Um, also, I'm also a, I'm a huge fan of pizzicato strings. You know, I mean, just who isn't? I mean. Throw me something and throw some pizzicato strings in there and <laughs> perfect. Um, but we also get a discussion between uh, Bill and Lloyd where he's like, yeah, he's read your articles and, you know, he knows who you are. And like, you know, because I think the impression is maybe that Fred Rogers is a bit, you know, wide eyed in this whole thing and maybe doesn't know who Lloyd is. And he's just taking the call because it's from a magazine. But Bill makes it clear. Oh, no, he's read up on you. Yeah. Like he knows he knows what you're about. So, you know. Try your hit piece on him. Go for it, because it's not going to work. Because <laughs> he's the nicest person it's ever. Quite interesting with um, with Fred Rogers that we kind of see throughout, uh, because there's the reference to you know um, he likes broken people or something similar is said is said later on, um, and it's it's interesting because the vibes we get from this and from the rest of it is that he doesn't seem to have some sort of like savior complex. He doesn't want to be looked upon as a as a savior or as a helper, but uh, he merely wants to help. Um, but in in those subtle ways, you know, I think it would have been so easy. Um, and <clears throat> from the Christian perspective, there's quite a few people in the in the church world that very much like to to save and to help 
and to turn someone's struggles into their story of helping them that I think the fact that this film isn't Mr. Rogers' story is absolutely a sign that, that Fred wasn't like that and he just wanted to kind of help people in, in subtle ways. I can't remember what I was... That that might also there, be but... why they never really were making an actual biopic of Fred Rogers, is he probably yeah. wouldn't have gone for it. No. No. I mean, I don't think he had much of a say because he'd been dead for 16 years, but, you know... Uh, well, his, his wife then his unsaid. wife wouldn't have. She, yeah. she wouldn't have done it. Yeah. But, of course, we then go on the subway because, you know, they've got a house a few blocks away from here because... Um, you know, Mr. Rogers is extremely wealthy. He's He's got a lot of money, so he can afford an apartment in New York and also a gigantic house with a couple of pianos, um, you know, back home. Um, and so as they're on the subway, uh, some kids start singing the theme tune, uh, which I've got to say, not a fan. Um, of the theme tune or of the kids singing it? Of the theme tune. Okay. The kids singing it is fine, but I'm saying I'm not a fan of the theme tune because it has these weird halting structure, and I'm like, like the opening is very like like quickly paced but then it when it does the would you be my could you be my i'm like what the hell's going what the tempo has disappeared what is going on makes no sense um what's made to be sung while he's doing things well yeah but i'm like the other songs are great (laughs) uh the opening theme not a fan of it um, but anyway, I've got no choice because we're stuck on the subway and everyone's done. <laughs> As the kids start singing it, everyone joins in. And obviously, Matthew Reese is like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> As the entire subway <laughs> serenades Mr. Rogers. Um, you know, uh, I expected them. I mean, if this had been in the 80s, we'd have seen some punks with some spikes and we'd have seen some, you know, greasers and we'd have seen. Subways were cleaned you know, up by the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this is it. Yeah, it's. Um, Giuliani's New York, of course, so everything's been sanitized. There's not even any gangs in here to sing to Mr. Rogers. It's just nuns and, you know, nice people. I was um, pleasantly surprised to to read in the article that that was a thing that happened to Mr. Rogers, not whilst um, the journalist was there, but that that's a thing that has happened because it's one of those things that I almost expected. Oh, that's sweet, but that's made up for the film. Um, yeah, I mean, in so this scene, it's made up it's made up for this scene, but then Lloyd Vogel isn't a real person and didn't have a dying father and didn't get into a fist fight with him. Yeah, so there so are the certain elements that, for the fact that it actually happened to Mr. Rogers at all, I think is, is yeah. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this is obviously why they chose to put it in is because it might not have happened at this particular time in New York, but it's happened to him previously where people have wanted to kind of sing the song, um, all the way through to its weird conclusion. Um, but, you know, that's just the music A-level student in me getting extremely annoyed at this uh, because the string quartet was so nice and then we had to listen to this theme tune. Anyway, I really we get like them. The I assume for someone who grew up watching the show, this they would be so, like, subjective about liking it that they wouldn't notice, yeah. the, uh, like, any objective problem. The weird, kind of weird phrasing, the kind of time changes, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, there's a there's an age group in this country where you start singing, you know, the rainbow theme tune and they'll all join. You can have a crowd of 30 people singing that, um, you know, but yeah. Um, but we get to the meat of the film. We get to the, uh, you know, the, the 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 knife stabbing at the heart of Fred Rogers, uh, where we actually finally get an interview in a in a hotel room in New York where Lloyd finally gets the chance to ask some questions. Um, and, you know, he kind of he said, you know, he says to him you know, kind of his caring about other people is like, is it a burden? Uh, and obviously, 
he doesn't really answer the question. He asks Lloyd more questions mm-hmm. um, uh, because, of course, he does because he's Mr. Rogers and that's what he does. Um, and he kind of gradually gets out of Lloyd that he had a childhood toy called Old Rabbit um, and it was given to him by his mother. Um, and this is when he gets out his puppets that he takes with him um, and he kind of speaks through Daniel Tiger and you know it's like and and i think it's interesting because this is obviously you know the as as a lot of the interviews say you were expecting something bad to happen something bad to be revealed something to happen that is kind of tragic or and obviously the tragedy is that you know lloyd lost his mother at an early age and his father kind of abandoned him like that's the tragedy the tragedy is never anything to do with mr rogers um although he does say to him you know there were a few years when you didn't do the show mm-hmm. you know what was what was it with that you know who did you murder and bury and get sent to prison for but of course it was just the fact that his kids were growing up and he just wanted to spend time with his boys and that <laughs> it's like oh okay if yeah, mr not controversial didn't exist right um and you'd just written this character would you be told that he was really one-dimensional and like He's just too positive you need to you need to give this guy like some flaws or something um, yeah, my criticism would be he's too Christian. Uh, <laughs> we watch different films. I think that's uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well. Clear. This year, we uh, this year there's at least one film that I know we've both definitely seen. Yes, um, uh, <laughs> and uh, disagree on. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that also has a priest in. Um, it does. Acts more yeah, it, like you would expect priests to act um, in this country. <laughs> It's uh, yeah. Uh, it has it has a lot of things in that film. Um, yeah, the priest is probably lower down on my list of problems uh, <laughs> with, with that film. Um, but uh, but yeah, they can listen to um, which was it all three? It's all three <laughs> on your trilogy. Of an existential, existential trilogy, trilogy. Yes, we talked about yeah. the movie Men a lot. Me, that me and Coe yeah. Griffiths, um, both of us uh, went to see the film together, and uh, yeah, had equally soured experiences. Um, from me saying this film looks good and I've heard great things, you should definitely watch it, <laughs> and then coming out of it being like, okay, never mind. Uh, we will uh, not go and grab some pizza afterwards as planned. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, yeah. So you know, Mr. Rogers just took us. He took a small gap to to kind of raise his kids, and you know, they talk about children and raising children, and obviously, you know the fact that um, you know he's a new father, and you know Fred's got a couple of sons, and Lloyd's father abandoned him, um, and you know this is this is kind of where he gets mad at Fred for like just not answering the questions. I think and, there's uh, also something this movie leaves out of that gap because he didn't just okay. stop doing TV. I believe that was part of uh, the documentary. Um, Won't you be my neighbor? They talk about where he tried to do a show that wasn't for kids. Because he's like, I'd covered all the stuff I needed to cover for kids. And he tried a different format. And it, it didn't work because people still saw him as that guy who'd been doing a kid's show at that point already for several years. And so yeah. it didn't do well. And then he went back to making Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood again. Did you, would you, could you imagine that if Mr. Rogers had been absent for 10, 20 years and then came back um, either a little bit later than that or even like if he was still around now do you think that adults would be more receptive to to having a show targeted towards them or do when you think they you did more see... peewee's playhouse people watched it but i never watched it originally or then so i don't know 
who was yeah. paying attention. It's a thing. That's I mean, in... oh, sorry. The, the gap wasn't that big because it was like February '76 to August '79. Like it was barely yeah, two and not... a half years. Yeah, yeah, that's in, not in, enough. Like in the film, they make out like it was some dramatically large gap, but it's like no, that's just about enough time that if you had a kid, you would be like, okay, we gotta raise focus these on kids the kid and... for a little bit. And... Yeah, like it's it's not that huge. Although I don't want to be spreading any conspiracies, but the last episode did air twelve days before September 11th. Where was Mister Rogers? That's all I'm asking. Didn't he? Didn't he come back for September 11th? Like, didn't he do like a? No, the last official episode. No, was that August that was 1st, one of the points they make also in the documentary is talking about how he they people looked to him after that and he didn't really have a good. What was it then? Because there was something platform. that he came out of, like came out of retirement per se for that he felt it he needed to have trust the kids and i always thought that that was september 11th i'm gonna need to i don't know that it could have been much longer after um, september 11th because yeah now, I mean, officially the last episode was the 31st of august 2001 they, uh, he only did GB, he only did five episodes in that in that gbh yeah. broadcast a minute and a half message um on the uh one year anniversary of september mm. 11th with uh fred rogers um, talking to camera about it apparently uh, but he yeah. didn't at the time no but yeah he only did five episodes in 2001 they aired for a week in August <laughs> that year so that's because every scene uh, took yeah. days to film <laughs> yes well this is it yeah. it's a year of uh, shoots um, yeah and... for five episodes um, but yeah so obviously this is this is where you know they part ways when Lloyd returns home he sees his father is there happily being part of his family and he's not happy about that um, and obviously you know he he, he kind of yells about it uh, we meet Dorothy uh, who is his I don't know new wife mm-hmm. um, and then uh, as they're arguing Jerry collapses uh, and they end up on the they end up in hospital first and then uh, Lloyd mysteriously transports himself <laughs> onto the Mr. Rogers show uh, where he's outside the door and he doesn't know how he got there and he's kind of confused um, and this is I think this is what like it's weird because like the, the times that we see this show in this film I don't think any of them apart from the tent incident are real um, like when we see him singing we see it from the side so we're not really th- seeing it through the perspective of the show um, even when we see him setting up the tent, we're seeing it through the lens of the camera, like literally in front of the other camera that's filming this film. Um, and so this, again, kind of the opening and the end of this film were a fantasy. Like there was no like there was no episode where he had a picture board that had a journalist from Esquire on it. <laughs> like, right. You know, that that wasn't a thing that happened. And so, again, like every every time we're in like the neighborhood, it is effectively a fantasy. Again, like I said, this film was on the blacklist. So I think it's, <laughs> um, to I be think expected. One of the more minor criticisms, um, but uh, this is like very minor. I love this film, but I, I, I don't think they commit enough to the these sorts of fantasy sequences. I think we could have done with a couple more because each point they they appear, I kind of forget that that's what this film is doing. Um, I had a. I would say issue. counterpoint. I get enough of the fantasy sequences. I didn't <laughs> so like I'm, them, but I'm I, happy I with wished, the level. I I I am not sure how much I liked them, but I I kind of wish they'd either committed to having them or, or not to. But then, like I was thinking something similar with uh, unbearable weight of massive talent, with all the Nick Cage talking to himself stuff, and then um, I bought the Blu-ray recently to rewatch it, and they've got a brilliant deleted scene of um, uh. 
two Nick Cages in the uh, doing an homage to the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. And at that point, I realized this would have been too much. Well, <laughs> like, right. general if audiences are If you ready had more like a... fantasy here, the only way that works is if the more Lloyd gets attached to Mr. Rogers, the more surreal and weird the things get. And it's a different toned movie. I think the movie yeah. absolutely has to remain in reality as much as it can. But I don't. Then, then I de- debate that it doesn't need the fantasy at all. Oh, um, I don't know. I think him turning into like old rabbit and just bringing up old rabbit is a big deal. Yeah, he turns into old rabbit, and obviously his wife takes the role of Lady Avalyn, mm-hmm. um, and they sing a song. Uh, you know, I think I think all the because the thing is, you know, he then gets a chance to speak to his mother. Um, and so, you know, we're making the subtext text and just having him kind of be as open. And I think that's what, like, not just, you know, not just the show, but that's what is happening the way he, when he's meeting Fred is he is bringing out this, this side of him. So I think it works like that. But yeah, it's really weird that every time we're in the show where it changes to the 4-3 format, it, it is a fantasy. There's nothing, there's no clips from the show effectively, which is what you would expect if you were doing it about, mr rogers if it was if this was a biopic about mr rogers everything that's on the show would be stuff from the show over the 30 something years instead of it being uh, the fantasy of a, a squire writer um but yes they go to a chinese restaurant which is coincidentally filled with everyone who worked with fred rogers yep. and um, his wife everyone in here yeah they're all all the all the patrons and everybody is all people who work with him and, and his uh, wife the direct- right yep yes yeah and, and Which I wouldn't said, recognize you know, her they... if not for the documentary that came out before this. <laughs> yeah. And um, and so um, on set, the director was like, let's have a minute silence. And so they are silent for a minute while they're in this restaurant. And they look directly at the camera. And that was the way of them, like, having a minute silence for Mr. Rogers, who obviously is not alive. And so that's what they wanted to pay tribute to. Um, and, you know, they talk about, you know, because Lloyd says, you know, you like broken people. And he says, no, you're not broken. Um, and, you know, I, I think this is, you know, in terms of the the story arc for Lloyd, I think that's an important thing for him to realize that, you know, Fred Rogers wasn't attracted to broken people. Like it's, you know, enough of the pop psychology. He just liked people. And, you know, he just spent more time and... with the broken ones because he had to. It wasn't because well, they were yeah. broken. It was because they needed him to pay attention to them. Yeah, if people are happy with themselves, then they're going to meet Mr. Rogers and go, oh, it's Mr. Rogers, and then they're going to move on with their lives after he's taken their picture. <laughs> they're not going to spend more time talking to him about their thoughts. Um, you know, because they're put together. They have other things to worry about. Um, but during this conversation, obviously, it's kind of emphasized to Lloyd that maybe, uh, you know, he should make up with his father and he, sh- he shouldn't be so terrible to him. You know, he's collapsed in the hospital um and you know this like he, he when he goes home he kind of taught he, he goes to i'm assuming the, it's meant to be like central park or something but it's just a dark park and i was like this is a weird scene for them to set outside where they're just wandering around uh but when he's talking to andrea he comes to the realization that he needs you know his dad is dying and he needs to spend time with him um and you know as he prepares to go and see his dad tom whips them clothes off uh, and I think it's interesting because in the article, it does kind of start with a description of uh, when the writer met Mr. Rogers, he was like changing in like a, a gym and he was basically naked in front of him. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so uh, obviously with this film being like a PG, you know, they didn't want to take the opportunity for Tom Hanks to get fully naked. But 
you and know, I think it was on in the screen, text. It wouldn't be as as wholesome as it no. is. No, <laughs> I think I think it would. Yeah, visually seeing his beloved children's presenter naked. Yeah, <laughs> having having. Bit. Having this scene start with Tom Hanks in the changing rooms and getting fully na- naked, I don't think would have worked in the film. Uh, but obviously, Tom still feels the need to show off that bod, and so of course he swims uh, while we see Lloyd, you know, going by himself. It should be noted uh, to you know because Andrea doesn't want to leave uh, their child with babysitters or whatever, or you know, so she, you know, she stays behind, um, and he goes to see his dad, uh, and you know once he's there. Um, you know, he talks with Dorothy and talks about his, you know, uh, you know, his father's life and whether or not she knew about them. And, you know, we find out that obviously, basically, she didn't know anything of the rest of Jerry's family until very recently. <laughs> so, like, literally until the wedding. Um, again, not true because uh, this is made up for the film. Um, so, you know, but still, uh, it's, you know, it's obviously a nice way for Lloyd to kind of talk about his feelings and stuff with somebody else other than Fred. Um, and, uh, you know, Andrea eventually joins them. Um, I should say, obviously, you, you know, uh, Jerry is at the point where, you know, he's in the he's in the living room and on a hospital bed. Uh, and there's a funny line where Lloyd is like, you know, when Andrea says, how's he doing? He goes, oh, you know, he's fine. He's, they don't you know, they don't put a hospital bed in your living room <laughs> if you're not if you're doing well. <laughs> like, you know, he acknowledges the situation very briefly. And I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, Matthew Reese plays it really well. We should also say Matthew Reese, not an American. Um, so putting on accent and do it really well because uh, I don't think very I don't think anyone would realise that he's not um, no, is he American Welsh? Yes, with that surname he has to be quite frankly yeah, um, yeah. so I, I I don't think he's like um, uh, who's the guy off of, who does the thing with the uh, with Alan Partridge, the other guy does lots of impressions uh, uh, Rob Ryan. Yeah, he's not like that Welsh. He's not like Rob Ryden, natural voice Welsh. <laughs> Is Rob he's not Ryden like... the pinnacle of Welsh? Um, oh, well, probably, I mean, he does... A, yeah. he, he does. Well, I mean, I guess Tom Jones then, because he does a really good Tom Jones impression where he gets very Welsh, so... You know, yeah, that isn't what Matthew Rhys sounds like. He doesn't sound that Welsh uh, in real life. Um, you know, In the same way that David Tennant doesn't sound super Scottish until he puts it on. Yeah, um, it's it's yeah. I I like the this is completely unrelated, but I I realized yesterday how much I love the Welsh accent. I know people who hate it, but for some reason it, I just find it like comforting and calming. Um, well, you are close to the border. Yeah, I'm basically <laughs> there. But I know yeah. people who live in Wales who don't like to be called yeah. Welsh because they don't like. I mean, I guess you could only be closer if you lived in Leominster or or you know. Tembury Wells or something. Or I mean, they Wells. they literally they they hold Wales Comic Con about a. A, a short, I was nearly going to say how many minutes drive from my house, but Robert found out where I lived quite quickly before, so <laughs> yeah. I'm going to play careful. But they literally yeah. hold R- Wales Comic Con really near me, and it's it's weird because you have all these American celebrities being like, I'm so glad to be coming to Wales, and I'm like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, yes. So, uh, yeah, and then obviously uh, Lloyd sings I Like You to his child. Um, you know, showing that Mr. Rogers has influenced him in that way. Obviously, because he's been watching some Mr. Rogers yeah. and he knows a song. Um, and then, of course, he gets to talk to his dad and, um, you know, uh, Jerry kind of apologizes and, you know, he says, you know, he obviously he wished things had been better. And, you know, it's a dying father and his son. It's very touching. Um, and then, of course, he gives the article that he's now written about Mr. Rogers 
because uh, it's not just 400 words. Uh, it's 10,000 words. <laughs> and, and his editor says she loves it, and it's the cover story. Uh, I mean, thank which... goodness. You shouldn't really hide that. Like, just dump <laughs> it at the back yeah. after the ads. It's a little sidebar well, that takes the... many pages. Well, the funny thing is, obviously, she's the editor, so she could have cut it down to 400 words quite easily. Like, well, Right, but she was moved. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and obviously that that article becomes you know can you say hero which is you know like I say it's uh, it's the cover article we see we go back to the here's how a magazine is made as we see tons of them being well, printed that's what and put we've been together. watching the whole time yeah this is what well, the movie yes, is how this magazine it. was made yeah um, and then of course uh, Todd and Rain arrive because one of those people wrote this film and so they have to have a bit of an extended cameo. Um, and I like how then, like, moments later, we get a knock on the door, and, of course, it is Mr. Rogers. And everyone is kind of stunned to see Mr. Rogers, which they shouldn't be because they know that Lloyd has been talking to him extensively. He's been to his studio a few times <laughs> and talked to him in New York. So it should be a shock. Um, but, you know, obviously, Mr. Rogers is happy to finally meet uh, Andrea because, apparently, behind Lloyd's back, they've been talking on the phone <laughs> after the first time that she talked. It might not have come a up a ton detail. with his dad, though. I don't know, like... I, I, but his dad read the I article. Mean, Didn't he say that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Good point. This is after the So they know he spent yeah. time. Yeah, I, yeah. I would imagine his sister and her husband, they didn't read that thing. They're like, yeah. my brother's a journalist. I don't read his shit. It's boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and then, of course, they, you know, they joke. And then uh, eventually it turns to the fact that, um, you know, Jerry's going to die. And then, of course, Fred says, you know, uh, it's okay to talk about death because to die is human. And, uh, you know, anything that could be, you know, managed, you know, is worth talking about. Um, And then, of course, Fred takes a picture with everyone and the writer of the film says, it's annoying that you're not in this. (laughs) You know, missing the point. The point is that Fred takes the picture of people so he can remember them. Uh, It's not for you to get like a selfie with Mr. Rogers. Um, I do find it. I do find it odd with all of these um, comments, though. Uh, when when he's like, "Oh, get get a copy over to me," that he's it's annoying. He's not in this. There's no point where they say, "Could you take another one? Could we get another one with you in?" <laughs> like it seems like a pretty easy. <laughs> well, it's 1998. Luke, uh, They'd have to have a camera handy. Allow me to introduce you to the concept camera. of paying for film. Well, yeah, and but he's a he's a lovely man. You don't waste a picture, Mr. Fred Rogers. Yeah, but he doesn't. He's, he doesn't know how many other people he's going to meet. Or they could he's be like, the airport, send us a copy or something. <laughs> yeah, he's going to meet yeah. dozens of people. He's going to be taking pictures of everybody. So you know, <laughs> I love the idea pres- of <laughs> Fred Rogers like stuck in a queue or a bus stop, and <laughs> just holding up a queue. Uh, well, that that is yeah. what would happen when he goes to the to the you know to the the airport because of course I'm sure he didn't have his own private jet, um, uh, but yeah, uh, and then of course, uh, you know, after taking the picture, he's in the cab, and earlier he'd shown the American Sign Language for friend, and you know through the window he shows this, um, you know, to Lloyd to say that they are friends, and of course, uh, the follow-up article was called My Friend Mr. Roger. Uh, Mr. Rogers, should I say? Um, so obviously that is, you know, from this point forward until his death, they remained quite close. Uh, the real, not Lloyd, obviously, because he's a fictional character. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so there was know, they... what two or three months before he died that they didn't interact. You said, which I guess isn't. Well, I think it was just because he. I mean, he didn't talk to him daily. The last yeah. time you heard from him was a couple of months before yeah. he died. Yeah. Also, he died of cancer. 
and yeah. during the last months, I'm not sure that he was particularly wanting to talk about, you know, talk to a journalist who had once written an article about him years ago. I think you had more important people to kind Probably of speak not. to. Probably uh, not. And then, of course, as Mr. Rogers gets home, we kind of we go back to where we were at the start of the film, where you know he has the the picture board and he shows his friend. Um, but before that, we get a very brief part where we're at the funeral and, and, you know, Lloyd is saying maybe I should slow down and help with the kid and all that kind of stuff. Um, and when we see the picture on the picture board, of course, Jerry is not in it. It's a Christmas picture. Um, and then, you know, he sings the outro to the, you know, he does the outro to the, the show and he sings the outro song. And then in a move that is a little odd, uh, he goes <laughs> and sits at a piano and he kind of sits by himself and he hits the low notes, which he had said earlier to uh, Lloyd when they were interviewing. He was like, you know, what if you feel mad or whatever? And he's like, you know, obviously he's like, well, you can feel mad and you can express those emotions without hurting other people, like maybe playing the low notes on the piano. And he did like a little impression. And when he tried to ask him another question, he just did that impression again. And well, so, and, you know. But he's doing it by himself in the studio in the dark. Yeah. He's, he's not taking... He is angry about stuff, but he knows how to de deal with it for him. He doesn't take it out on other people like Lloyd does. Yeah, by punching his dad and getting punched back. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Bringing it all around. Um, and yeah, so, you know, we, we then go to the end credits, which feature Mr. Rogers, the real one, doing some singing. Um, and that is where the film ends. Uh with a bunch of people in my cinema confused about what they had just seen uh, because I don't think they were fully prepared by the trailer for exactly what this film was going to be and it took a couple of weird detours where they were like I don't really understand what's happening here or who this person is um, and yeah so the, you know the reaction at my cinema was a bit mixed let's say uh, but I you know I don't want to pass judgments yet because obviously you know we only have two on this show and they're either T-Hanks or no tea hanks uh so uh, i think we'll go to robert first uh how are you feeling about a uh, beautiful day in the neighborhood um i would i would say i like it more watching it now knowing what to expect but i did like it a lot in the first place so definitely tea hanks yeah absolutely tea hanks i feel like the issue is I, i've signed all the episodes on the show i've signed on to are just films i love so my answers are very recurring but yeah um tea hanks uh for me i i loved i guess i sort of knew what i was going in for in the cinema because i wasn't surprised at all um i enjoyed it i remember talking to a lot of people about it and i bought the dvd like on the day it came out don't know why i didn't pre-order it uh but i bought it on the day it came out um and yeah so it was a, a big t hanks for me Even i mean i can I only watched it for like a year <laughs> I can only say fake fan then if you didn't pre-order it. I don't know what I don't know why you even bothered signing up for this if you didn't pre-order it. Um, I don't quite understand why I waited for release day <laughs> to go to Asda. <laughs> like, so much. Maybe, maybe it you wasn't just even had to pick up some food, and you were like, "Well, yeah, yeah." Maybe you just wanted to pick up some food, and you're like, "Oh, maybe I'll get something from Asda." Um, I mean, I, it wasn't that spontaneous. I was like, you know, I was I was on small amounts of pocket money that I would have had to save up a couple of weeks to, to get a beautiful day in the neighbourhood. We understand, um, Luke. You're a tiny baby. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. I would say T-Hangs for myself, but it falls into this category that we've had post... I'm going to say Cash Me If You Can, where I'm probably never going to watch this ever again. Hmm. Um, you know, and I feel the same way about Captain Phillips and Saving Mr. Banks and Bridge of Spies and, you know, uh, Charlie Wilson's War, The Terminal. Like, these are all films that I like. I didn't even say Sully, but I'm never, 
and there's the no question need is, for me folks, to ever watch is this your favourite Christian movie? I mean, I don't even know if it is a Christian movie. If it doesn't have a robot cop getting shot and walking on water, is it even really Christian? Um, That's it, between this and The Apostle. Uh, I haven't seen The Apostle. Um, And I mean the 90s The Apostle with uh, the old dude. I forget his name. (laughs) Is it Richard Dreyfuss? No, not Richard Dreyfuss. um, Methuselah? That's an old dude. Um and that feels like a fitting way to go to any plugs. Uh, is there anything that you wish to plug? I'm going to start with uh, Luke. I feel you've got less to plug than Robert, so we're going to start with you first. Yeah, I think so. I don't have things running at the moment. Please Be Seated will be back at some point. That was my old show, but we're working to get that back. So, I don't know, just keep refreshing your feed for a while. Please stay seated. Um, and something will happen eventually. Aside from that, a lot I'm working a lot with the production company Rocking Horse Media at the moment on an upcoming TV pilot, on a documentary about disability awareness, and on the official documentary uh, of following the life of uh, British national comedy treasure Anna Karen from On the Buses. Um, so yeah, if if any of that tickles your fancy then head over to rockinghorsemedia.co.uk. Uh, well, I would plug the four shows I have going every week right now, which is the Existential Trilogy of Minutia X Machina, the Groundhog Day Project, Minute by Minute, and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. And then on, every Friday now, I have the first syllable where I am piecing together ideas for my screenplay about a time loop story. And you can find us on Twitter at the extremely awkward T underscore FT memory. Thanks to both of you for being my guest here today. Thanks for having me. It's been good fun. Thanks for having us. And if you were American and you wanted to get out of the neighborhood, well, one of the good ways to do that would be to get on a greyhound. And that's what we're going to be doing next. With you, so let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor?